once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely... Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be Alright, um, welcome back to the Chess Underground. It is August 23rd, 2021. I am here with National Master, uh, award-winning chess coach, Blitz GM, I'll talk a little bit about that, and low-key meme lord, Gopal Menon, who I will let talk a little bit about himself. Hey Pete, pleasure to join you today. Yeah, so I am National Master Gopal Menon. Um, Let's see. I've been. I played my first chess tournament in two thousand two. I got kind of a late start. Like I was, uh, I was basically like eleven, I believe, when I played my first tr uh, chess tournament. I was eleven, almost twelve. Practically so, an old man by today's standards. I know. I've been thinking that, and you know, you tell normies uh, that you were a late starter at twelve, and they just like kind of scoff at you. You know, it's. Uh, but really, like. As a chess coach yourself, like, you know, it's it's crazy how young these kids start. Um, but yeah, let's see, outside of chess, <clears throat> I really enjoy uh, dogs, like specifically long dogs, bourgeois, greyhounds and the <laughs> such, uh, memes, of course, uh, of all kinds, and uh, let's see, cooking. Uh, I'm, I've been vegan for like over 10 years, and... Let's see, uh, what else? Oh, Q Sports, of course. Um, mostly pool, but, you know, I've played my fair share of snooker or carom billiard games, so. Q as in C-U-E uh, yes. for the listeners, right? Q Sports, okay, cool. I want to talk about that, too, but, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I was going to start with the Blitz GM <laughs> thing and mm -hmm. why I called you that, but I got to know, like, what is it with, like, why long, long dogs in particular? And, like, long, you mean, like, long nose, long body? Like, what's up uh, with the long dog love? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're long, the long noses, like, they're just because their expressions are just so goofy. They, I feel like they all have distinct <laughs> personalities, um, especially, like, if you look at Borzois, uh, B-O-R-Z-O-I, or, like, better known as, like, Russian wolfhounds. Uh, as one of my students, uh, JJ Lang, uh, put it like they, it's interesting because they start off looking like normal puppies and then they just grow completely wrong <laughs> in his own words, you know? So I okay. mean, if that's wrong, like, I don't, I don't know. If you I don't want to know. Right. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, cause they're so cute, you know? Right. Okay, so long long dogs have like distinct personalities. Good. But this is Definitely. you know, the more you learn, right? Uh, absolutely. I feel like there should be one of those NBC like the more you know, you know, do 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 do. Do you remember those? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I I'm old enough. I'm 
30 feels weird to say, but... Um, oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, old man in today's game, you know. Right, for real. I mean, <clears throat> like, pretty soon, I think, you know, we just had recently the youngest Grandmaster Ever record be broken. Right. And, like, I feel like within the next decade, it's probably going to be an 11-year-old. Yeah, I yeah, very conceivable, you know. Um, Which yeah, really I mean, makes I can't you feel, even imagine. Huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. All right, so the Blitz GM thing, and actually it's interesting you brought up JJ as your student. JJ is like 21, 2200, right? Something around there? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's like uh, 2100, I believe. Okay. There. If not there, like maybe a little bit below, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the reason, the reason I called you that is because, as I recall, you have or had a a US chess. We're talking like official, not internet rating, mm-hmm. not not even US chess online rating, like an actual over the board US chess blitz rating, like north of twenty five fifty, is that right? Or am I giving you too many yeah, points there? That's that's correct, yeah. Like about twenty five fifty eight, I think. Um I think at the time that was probably putting me in the top thirty. I believe wow. uh, right when like somewhere between 25 and 33 uh, in the U.S. And I mean, now I'm like still top 50, but, you know, um, yeah, kind of <laughs> it's really hard to gain points at that level, you know. Right. And not only that, but I mean, OTB play has like ground to a, a halt, uh, oh, of course. Sure. Um, and and in addition to that, though, like we should also mm-hmm. mention perhaps like some of your your Internet accolades, you have like the the list if I were just to make a list of like the the most impressive blitz victories you have, it would be you know, like a hit list of some of the world's top ten, right? I'm not I'm not making that up. Oh yeah, for sure. In fact, uh, for Twitter, like which I'm sure we'll get to later for how people can like interact with me or whatever. Um, I've been posting like I regularly post gifts of cool games or previews of the like projects I'm working on, and I have quite a few games against some of the players of the Sinkfield Cup. So I think I posted a GIF of a crazy game I had with Lagrave. Um, I saw that game. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, not a high-quality game, but I mean, just fun in that, like, it was just an all-out brawl. Uh, let's see, I've beaten Dominguez. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm, like, minus most uh, against most of these guys. Uh, Carwan, I, I've beaten... He's probably the one I have the best record against, but probably still like minus like one or two there total like lifetime so i'm expecting to see more gifs and by the way thank you for pronouncing that correctly gif is the internet thing gif is peanut butter um right. yeah uh i'm hoping to see some more gifs of, of some of those games uh pretty soon mm-hmm. um on up on your twitter the the mvl game was actually you're right that was like a wild insane brawl where do you right. uh, where did you did you just happen to randomly match up with him was it a tournament mm-hmm. how did that game come about uh yeah, I I think a pool. It was a it was a pool game. Um, ICC for, pool game. Yeah yeah yeah. It's kind of like uh, what they would do on Leeches, for example, if you just click like three minutes or whatever. A lot of people don't know like how the the old ICC pool used to work. You would just like select your time limit, and then you would be thrown up against a random opponent, right? Like you might get some random sixteen hundred, or you might get like a super gym. Correct. Um, <clears throat> like, and the thing also with those ratings was the the pool ratings were a lot less inflated than the actual category uh, right. for which you'd be playing. Like, for example, your uh, like my peak blitz rating on ICC was like 3163. 
and <laughs> which is a, which is just an insane number. Yeah, I mean, it was it, but it's like, yeah, I mean, to get there, it's kind of like, that's kind of a different thing we can probably talk about. It's just like mostly grinding, um, grinding your way there and selecting who to play, and but you know, you still got to get there, and uh, yeah, with the and so like you're able to achieve such ratings by playing the same opponent multiple times. So selecting adoptable opponents? Well, you would think that would be the case for me to get that rating, but actually, if you look at my ICC stats, um, <clears throat> I, I have a lot more games lost in Blitz than I, than I have won. Um, but part of that is because, like as you alluded to earlier, I was playing against some of the highest-rated players in the world, uh, some of the best players on the Internet, um, like GMs that might not be household names necessarily, but are definitely Blitz specialists. And so I cut my teeth against a lot of those guys. And uh, yeah, that will definitely turn you into a saltier player for sure. <laughs> cut your teeth to become a saltier player. I love it. So, uh, you know, you mentioned your, your Twitter that you're doing and some of your content creation. Gopal, as, as I'm sure yeah. you're aware, the, the theme of this year uh, is streamers. And mm-hmm. uh, right. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about all of the content you create, definitely the Twitter stuff, your YouTube videos, but I want to start off with streaming in particular, uh, streaming on Twitch, where of course I noticed your streaming name is professor daddy Yes. and daddy. Uh, that's so professor spelled normally daddy is D A D D I. Right. Uh, where, where, so I, I've asked pretty much everybody this question, uh, who has a unique stream name like Gotham Chess, for example? Where? Please don't put me in the same category. Where, <clears throat> but I gotta know where did it come from? Well, I, I right, I know, but where did it come from? <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, a, a couple of things. Like it, uh, like as a teacher, you know, it's kind of a, it's definitely a, a different mentality than just like playing all the time. You know, like being a true professional. You know what I mean? And like it requires a lot more nurturing, I would say. Almost, you might say, kind of like a daddy. And it helped that a lot of my (laughs) friends, like I think I just started calling myself that before it became kind of a topical thing, uh, you know, printed on shirts and whatnot. And that's why I also decided to change the spelling of it with an I. So, you know, it's not weird if somebody calls you daddy. It's spelled with an I. It's a different, it's a different thing. It's a different meaning. I, I, you know? I, I got to dissect this, but I don't even know where to start. I don't know if I should start. Let's start. Okay, so there's actual t-shirts. There's Professor Daddy. You can get Professor Daddy oh, no, like no, 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 fashion. No, 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 just shirts no. and hats with the, the word daddy on it, but spelled in the old boring way. Oh, Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, right. so in an effort to differentiate yourself from that, right? It's a yeah, it's a branding. It's uh, yeah, it's branding for me. Um, and yeah, as, as far as the professor is concerned, like <clears throat> a lot of uh, like a lot of people have kind of told me this, but I think one of the first people to tell me was Bill Brock when we were. Uh, I think. You must remember when we were doing the commentary at the U.S. Open. I think it was the first I, round. I do remember. That was actually the first ever time that U.S. Chess as an organization streamed a live event ever in the history oh. of the organization. 
Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, that was we, in 2018. Correct, um, 2018 U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very uh, memorable tournament. And yeah, basically, I I remember seeing in the chat like after we were talking about a game I believe played by James Tarjan, uh, mm-hmm. where he was white and he played a English opening. You get this position through a few different move orders, like c4, e6, g3, d5, bishop g2, knight f6, knight f3, bishop e7. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the most solid approach, castle, castle. And instead of transposing to a normal Catalan, uh, white plays b3, b6, bishop b2, bishop b7, and so on. And so I was trying to sum up for the audience the two most recent books that covered this position from White's perspective. One was Mihail Marin's uh, work on the English opening, the books for quality chess, and Delchev's, I believe it was the Dynamic Reti or something like that, a repertoire mm-hmm. for White after Knight F3, D5. And so I was kind of showing the different approaches that both authors advocated from that position. And so I think Bill told me in either he told us in person or in the chat, he said, you know, you, you would have had a future in academia just hearing you talk in that manner. And like, it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, because if you're in academics and, you know, you have to be up to date with all the literature past yeah, and current that's true. Mm-hmm. and, you know, be able to cite your sources. And like, I, I try to employ that a lot with my teachings too, to have a, like a curriculum of, examples for certain themes and I'm, I'm always checking like the latest books and stuff like that to add to that collection so you know it's, it's interesting i never thought of coaching uh or, or teaching chess as having such a crossover with academia or like a, a college professor setting but uh you're right that's that's like almost a direct one-to-one uh correlation yeah, for sure. I mean, especially if you're reading a lot of books, like I know you've been over uh, in my place, like you've seen how many books I have, like no bookshelf could really hold all of them. Um, right. And so, right. like, I mean, but a lot, but not a lot of people uh, do that, I think, uh, or stay like as up to date with like current books, you know? So I, I just think it's a good thing to keep yourself sharp and keep things fresh for your students as well. But Yeah, yeah I agree. I actually think books, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just to say, I think books oh, are such an underrated resource. You know, today when we have things like chessable and, and, you know, you can log in and get a chess lesson in five minutes or less, you know, um, <clears throat> but as, as both a writer, English major, and most importantly, chess player, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of print and just big believer in like the, the power of having a print book that you can go through. I don't, I don't know. There's something to it, you know, def 110%. Like, I mean, books are part of the reason why I fell in love with chess. Like, I always read a lot as a kid. And uh, around the time, like, after, like, like let's say 2001-ish, when I started to, like, really get involved into chess, the, like, the, the thing that sealed the deal for me was uh, seeing a chess book on a kid's desk and I, that like my mind was just blown like wow they they really write books about chess and of course it's obvious if you think about it but you know in my feeble 11 year old mind um you know my universe was shattered so i went and checked out books from the library and you know there was no youtube back then um all the icc stuff like chess.fm you know you have to pay for that and right 
yeah, I mean, that's just how I learned and that's just how I continue to to learn because like you have like so many great authors like with the market flooding, you know, we have a lot of good stuff out there, but okay, a lot of books aren't necessarily worth it, you know. Yeah, I you know, wow, what a reference. Chess.fm. I had like forgotten that existed, but that was like one of my yeah. primary sources for like cool chess stuff back in the day, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, it would keep you current, like the the game reviews and everything, but you know, nowadays everybody's doing game reviews or game, right. game of the day and you know, but theirs were very, very special. Like with uh I think the first guy like like Fedorovich, uh, Fedorovich mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Deason. Fed the Fed came, as I recall, to the 2018 U.S. Open broadcast you just referenced, and he was ah, sitting yeah, in the audience right. and offering us uh, move suggestions. And it was him and uh, Alex Fishbein, right? Yep, yep, yep. In the in the same at the same time, which is very interesting. Alex uh, Fishbein he writes very interesting books. The last two he wrote um, on the Scotch Gambit and the Exchange French uh, for White. You know. I might you might get a lot of chuckles or groans, whatever, when you hear the the <laughs> the mere mention of the exchange French. <laughs> right. But like really he makes quite a an interesting case for it. And so his books are very thought provoking and original. Uh you know, it's interesting you say that because as I've as I've grown older in my in my waning years as a coach, um mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that I in particular with adult students that I really try to stress early on um is like you have to avoid like stereotypes and stigmas in chess like oh for sure if an opening has a reputation so what you know um you have to like find what suits you you have to play to your strengths and you have to make your own discoveries in the game and you know like trying to to fit yourself into oh well i'm a tactical player i'm a positional player like don't do that you know um or the exchange french is boring don't do that no 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 find Find the ideas, find the beauty, find your own path in the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my favorite quotes has to be, uh, I believe, by Edward Lasker or Emmanuel Lasker. I can't remember. One of those E. E. Laskers. Yes, one of of them. Uh, But yeah, chess is an education in independent thinking, you know. Ooh, Uh, I like that. And that goes hand in hand with the famous uh, trust but verify saying. like yeah. that, that's the thing, like, especially today with a lot of assessments being overturned, even, uh, like with popular, with like the powerful engines, it's possible to trick them too. But, uh, but yeah, like also another thing I, I found interesting that you brought up was the addressing these preconceptions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like one thing a student, uh, like one of the biggest mistakes I see is people disliking, uh, or developing like a certain distaste for types of positions based on their own experience. Right. But if you in fact go back and put it under the microscope, you could realize, well, I was just handling it totally wrong, you know? So it wasn't a true test. Like I'm sure as you've, as any chess coaches had, like I'm sure you've had a painful or like a painful conversation with a kid or somebody else saying like, Oh, I don't like castling because I always get checkmated. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's such a great example. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and, but yeah, also too, with the reputations of openings, like, I mean, who, who's saying that? Who's saying the exchange French is boring? Is it somebody whose opinion you really trust and you really, really respect? Like if you think for yourself, like 
you'll find so many different paths, especially, like I said, with a lot of powerful engines. And if you study the specialists and, you know, do some good digging with literature and put in a little elbow grease, like, yeah, you'll find some cool stuff in almost anything. Yeah, I think that's very true in particular with the game. I love that last quote you dropped. That's a great one. I got to remember it. Um, so give us, give us a teaser, like what, you know, you don't have to give away all, all your secrets, but what, what are some good reads like right now? Some, some recent books, some recent literature that you've really enjoyed and, and you might, uh, recommend to somebody who's, who's looking to take these deeper dives. Uh, in terms of recent literature? Yeah. Past couple years or so, or what, or no, let's not put a restriction on it. Anything that, that tickles your, uh, your professor daddy fancy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, thank you for tickling that. I, you know, my fancy <laughs> has definitely been um, awoken. Uh, for sure, I have to shout out Under the Surface by Jan Marcos. Okay. That's a very uh, very thought-provoking book. It kind of changed the way I, I saw chess and, and taught chess. Like, he comes up with terms just... Uh, for a certain phenomenon, like strategic phenomenon in chess, and presents it in a very, uh, I think Akash Midori called it a playful manner, which I thought was very good. I, I would say charming, but yeah, like these short essays on strategy and stuff that's really not in traditional books. And he gives you quite a lot and very easily digestible. Uh, I like that book a lot. Let's see. I mean, <clears throat> uh, Universal Chess Training, I've enjoyed that book quite a bit uh, by Miranda. That's a, it's, it's pretty interesting book because like it gives like high level training, but the, the puzzles like don't, for example, for a chapter, they don't follow a totally coherent theme. So you're basically almost like being immersed in a, <clears throat> in like a real life situation, you know, you were, cause like one of the big disadvantages, like small tangent of uh, like tactics trainers is that it might help to a degree, but won't help a ton in real life situations because with a tactics trainer, you know, there's something there, right? but in a real game, you know, there's nobody gonna who's going to come over and tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, pay attention. There's a tactic. Right. Or yeah. Tickle your fancy or anything like that. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Tickling, so, yeah. tickling the player's fancy is, is not allowed during a rated game. <laughs> yeah. So like that book I've been uh, having some fun with uh, lately, but I would say kind of a similar book, but a predecessor was perfect your chess by Andrei Volokitin and his coach, uh, Ukrainian. I am Vladimir Grabinski, who has produced mm-hmm. like a lot of very strong players out of there. And yeah, the puzzles are like mixed themes. Like there is a chapter, find the win. And then you'll have a few different positions based on like various themes. And it's a really interesting book. And part of like, for me, what makes a really great chess book is just being able to come back at it, uh, you know, a year, two years, four years, maybe you're at like, I don't know, 500 points higher rated than when you first read it. And, you know, you get something out of it every time. And that's how I definitely felt with Perfect Your Chess. Like, that's a book that's challenging for grandmasters. And I remember going through it as like 1900, 2000, and just like, it was way above my head, but some of it, but like, I got what I could out of it. And then I came back and yeah, I mean, I still work with that book to this day. 
So speaking of chess books, um, and and I, I I know our our listeners and myself appreciate your recommendations. I I personally have accepted a couple of your recommendations and ordered them, and I I've never been disappointed. Um, but I know that you're also you know we talked about content creation, which I want to get more into into the Twitch and the the digital side of it. But since we're on this tangent. Uh, I know you're working a little bit on a book without giving away too much of the secret sauce. Could you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what you were you're cooking up there? Well, yeah. So the idea for the book stemmed from under the surface. Like I mm-hmm. was probably rereading it uh, sometime after COVID hit, and I, man, it must have been like the fifth time I reread it. Uh, I remember when I got that book, by the way, I read it like in a day very easily. Um, And yeah, got so much out of it. But anyway, so like I was just revisiting and I was just blown away. And I thought, man, this book is so good. And I thought like, you know, I've been kind of wanting to do this, like to write a book because I feel like I have a lot of interesting knowledge and a unique perspective. And yeah, I realized like, you know, now's going to be the time to put your stuff together. And I had a lot of stuff already. And so the initial book idea was on opening preparation presented in sort of like an under the surface style format. And I'm sure that book will hopefully, you know, see the light of day at some point, but I was going through this chapter that I was writing on deep opening traps. And I realized like, wow, this is such a marketable idea. And like it just comes so much more naturally to me. So mm-hmm. I just got obsessed with it because even when I was working on other chapters, I couldn't stop thinking of these uh, very deep opening traps. And yeah, so that that's basically the book. Like if you think about a lot of some, uh, a lot of the best selling books, like on opening traps or winning quickly, like everybody wants to do that. Right. Right. Beat the Sicilian with this gambit or something like that, you know? Right. Right. Um, but like what you'll realize is that a lot of these a lot of these like opening traps come from like very gimmicky foundations and so like the traps really aren't going to work at like a very high level um and they seem like, to be a lot of the times like sort of almost one off right like right, your, exactly. your foundation totally is gimmicky and if if they've walked right into your trap fantastic and if they don't eh, you might have some problems Right. Like, I mean, if you think of like, okay, you could think of how certain amateurs, for example, might, might view the exchange French. Right. Right. But in, if you imagine the Drake meme template, uh, Drake would be saying no to that. And then of course, Drake would be smiling at the (laughs) Budapest gambit. And here is what we mean by low key meme Lord. Oh yeah, of course. You got to always think in terms of the templates. Um, Right. Right. But yeah, like, you know, people would be salivating over the Budapest Gambit, but really, like, a lot of those tricks are very transparent, and they're not from a sound positional foundation. So what I wanted to do was find, like, a a bunch of traps that were either common, OTB, or online, and they had a lot of Grandmaster victims, and... Yeah, like you'd be surprised like how many like grandmasters have fallen for a trick that's very elementary or very deeply hidden or masked, like so much so that the computer doesn't even see it right away. 
and so I also have a, a really interesting section called positional traps. Um, basically, like there are these common traps that you can get into and get this like totally busted, dead lost game positionally right out of the opening. And it hasn't really been written about a lot. And that's something I thought needed to be put into chess literature. In fact, the final straw for me to write this book was reading uh, Rachmanov's Secret Opening Preparation, a recent book by Thinkers Publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love their books a lot. And he, I had had this idea in mind of like positional traps, and he had shared like one or two and used the term positional trap in his book. And both of those examples were in my collection. So I was like, well, I have to put this out there before somebody else does, so... Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, that's a that's a great point because another thing that, speaking from a coaching perspective, that I talk to students about all the time is like recognizing a positional threat. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, step one in chess is recognizing a tactical threat. Like, oh, I'm about to be forked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then, but then, there comes a point in your chess development as a player where you also have to be able to recognize like a positional threat, like a threat to damage your position or a threat to uh, I, I don't know the right way to describe it. Maybe like lead you into an inferior position, if that makes sense. Yeah, or like you you go into a position without any prospects, but you don't see that danger coming until it's too late. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things that um, offers an element of surprise to a lot of players that I work with is how we'll be going through their game. And they'll play a move and I'll say something like, oh, so here's where you lost. And they'll be like, no, 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 it's later. <laughs> right. But exactly. then as you dissect it and you go back, you're like, yeah, no, let's go back to this moment, right? Here's mm-hmm. the, remember this move 18 where I said, here's where you lost. And let's, let's see how this developed from here. Right. It's yeah. You're basically much worse. And then you, you blunder and then you think, oh, well, I missed that. Well, no, you shouldn't be there in the first place. Like, right. Let's go back to, to this. Like, yeah, you're totally right. Very common. Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, you, you 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 told me a little bit about the concept there before, of course, before we recorded the show, and I'm I'm very fascinated to see it uh, whenever you're done. I think, um, you know, not only from a, a coaching perspective, but also a playing perspective. You know, that's the, that's the type of book that interests me. You know, I don't want to see the the one off like you know, play the wing gambit, right? Right. Um, you want to see these these deeper ideas, and they they do exist, and they're cool. And when you when you stumble across them you almost feel like accomplished in some way. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And yeah, like also the 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 book itself will be kind of unique in that like I'm I feel like I'm very scatterbrained in real mm-hmm. life and so you get kind of a a peek into my brain like I'll go on like a few tangents here or there like you know while we have the main uh, the main course like let's say it's some trap in the Peart's defense for example like I'll make a side note like oh this is an interesting try to you know go for an advantage or this book recommends this but this is a strong retort you know stuff like that like very useful information for people who like opening theory or people who are gonna just looking for some inspiration to spice things up in their openings or just anybody who wants to see like a feast of (laughs) <laughs> of, like very chess themes like i don't know feast your eyes on these on these very chess on this yes. very chess yeah and I, you know what there you go there's your tagline for your book feast your eyes on this very chess 
these this varied chess <laughs> this very this quote I, yeah maybe that's not gonna work i was thinking very chess is like uh, a humorous way of describing it as being like you know extremely chess uh i like mean it, essential it kind of is, chess i don't know i don't think like the book would be so appealing to normies but probably not it might uh like i i've shown some of the content to a couple of the uh my grandmaster friends and like i can guarantee you like that like a lot of them were really liking what they saw. And, you know, I think anybody could learn something from this book really, because the information is going to be quite valuable. Very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, so speaking of content creation, you know, one of the themes that, uh, the theme of the, the, the year is streaming. And I need, I know you do some streaming both, um, mm-hmm. on your own, on your professor daddy account and with a few friends, um, so, so give us some insight there. Let's start. I'm going to start off with, with kind of a fun question. Mm-hmm. What do you like, what do you enjoy doing most on stream? Like when you're, when you're live, when you're in the moment, what do you enjoy doing most? I like seeing where the stream takes me for sure. Because if I get a very interesting question in the chat and then we start exploring and digging a bit deeper, um, then yeah, like it, it's really interesting. Like for example, I think one of the last ones I did was a stream with Akash, and it started, I believe, with a discussion on the Milner Berry Gambit in the French, and like just somebody asked me to show an interesting game there. But it really morphed into something else, totally interesting as as the stream went on. Um, but like kind of along the same lines, and so you never know where these explorations will take you. Like another instance uh, would be, I think I was reviewing, I beat Grandmaster Arkady Nidich. Like I, I played him two games once on stream, one and a half out of two maybe I was on that time. And I was going through one of the games like as black in a carries attack. And then I was just kind of explaining some of the themes to my viewers and then opening up new tab after new tab after new tab just to show these examples that I was quoting, you know, because it should uh, show at least how the the game kind of can play out based on some of these themes, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's something very unique about, it's almost like the perfect marriage between like chess and, and the idea of streaming, which is why I wanted to do, wanted to do this season. Uh-huh. Because there's something very unique about just being able to, like, investigate a position, right? I almost think of it like, it's kind of like kibitzing almost in a way, right? Right. You can just go down, you can go down whatever rabbit hole you want and look at whatever position you want. And and there you go, right? And and it's almost like you're in you're in the room with, with a strong player, which is, which is a unique experience. And not everybody gets to do it. And especially those players who don't get to play OTB don't get to do that. And right, right now there's almost no OTB, so that means almost everybody. Oh, for sure. Um, Like, I think another cool thing that that we did on stream, just like, uh, and also going alongside with what I said about seeing where the stream would take me, just like, it's basically about just finding new stuff to to do on stream. Like, of course, I could do a tactics trainer. You know, of course, I could play Blitz or Bullet, but there's just so much room to explore. Like, I think once I was just doing it the old fashioned way, uh, just, I, I invited my students to study chess with me, or I'm sorry, my stream audience rather. And I was studying games. Uh, I believe it was Aliakin's best game collection. 
And so we would play kind of a game with the audience, like we would all try to guess the move and stuff like that. And uh, do you remember that very interesting game we played with both our online audience and our in-person audience at the U.S. Open Evaluation Station? I do. I do remember that. You know, um, in fact, I was just thinking about that game today because I saw a famous content producer basically saying, I have a new segment where I do. And then they, what they described in their new segment was basically just evaluation station. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, that's right. The dude, I invented that three. Third rank. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. I was like, bro, I invented that three years ago. Come on now. It's a great, it's a great game, honestly. And I always like, I, I feel like I don't do it enough because it, really is interesting uh it's it's a really interesting way to spend time um so so maybe we should just take a moment for those who didn't see that and just explain exactly what evaluation oh yeah of course yeah (laughs) go right ahead please go ahead no no you're the guest you have to do all this all the hard hard, heavy lifting come on now so okay for sure um so basically like if we're it, it could it could literally be any any position but uh especially a position of interest like one that gives pause for thought uh, it's very interesting, I think, for the commentators to take like a poll, basically, from their audience in person or online, and you know you can field all sorts of guesses with uh, as to what the computer evaluation might be. And I don't know, you could make a prizes out of it. I don't know. I don't know. Did we have prizes at the U.S. Open? I don't think so. I or think it was we, just more like for fun. And or did I promise somebody and not give it? a prize or something but it was obviously a ridiculous prize that they would never get but right yeah um i used to play that reminds me i'm just gonna give a very brief aside here i used to play this trivia night right uh and the there was a prize for first place and second place and they were like you know gift cards to the bar or whatever and the third place prize was provided by the host and it was just like (laughs) some random junk from his apartment that he didn't want anymore (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny to watch, like, whoever got third, they would have to walk up there and, like, accept the prize, and it was always something ridiculous. Like, would he, would they at least, like, make up some sort of cool backstory for these items in question? Well, usually there was no backstory, but there was always, like, a very, very specific description, you know? Like, you know, like, uh, like this is a, a jar of ranch that I've had for two years, and I no longer <laughs> Oh, so you'd already, like, be let down. Uh, before you even got the prize, right? You had to go up and accept it, and then he would tell you exactly like the specifics of it. You know, oh, like okay. the the um, like it was very detailed information as to what as to what it was. You know, like, so it was just a, a basically a mystery bag with, uh, you know, yeah, promising. yeah, exactly right, exactly right. And it was always mm-hmm. like it was always really funny, and it was like real. You know, it was like just random stuff from his apartment. We we got third a couple times, so I unfortunately discovered the. The jar of ranch. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think we got ranch. I don't even remember what we got, but it was always really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. All right. Anyway, so so back to evaluation station. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the the idea is go ahead. Yeah. Oh no no I was gonna say I think I think that pretty much describes it. Was was yeah. there anything you'd like to add? I, no no not really. I mean basically yeah you just you guess the the number that the engine is gonna say for the position right. Mm-hmm. And and we should mention this is something that I think is also very important. Whenever you're analyzing position, do it with the engine off. Right. At least the first time. You know, if at some point, if you are really curious, you know, 
there's nothing wrong with turning it on. I, I like to think of using the engine as a way of like confirming or or disproving your beliefs about a position, right? Right. Like you want to draw your own conclusions first, and then if you want to kind of have like a like a check or like a like a confirmation or a rejection of, of your your beliefs, then you turn the engine on and you see how how quote unquote correct you were. Um, yeah, and I you know the the thing is too with that like the danger of course is kind of having uh, or just being in this situation where you're working for the computer and the computer isn't working for you. Right. So like you're not actively questioning enough. You're just kind of like accepting what the position says. And I mean, in a lot of ways, like these engines sh- surely have revolutionized like the, the way we see certain positions, like certain positions that were considered acceptable or unclear might just not be that great at all, uh, right. according to the engine. So like I can think of one famous example. Um, there was a position in the carries attack after move 10, I believe from the game Zhu Chen versus Jan Elvist from 2007, I think. And he talks about this position after, uh, like after move 10 around there, one of the main lines that they used to play a lot in the carries attack. And like back in those days, they would consider that position unclear, mm-hmm. you know, um, like basically white would have this like split kingside pawn structure, but you know, he'd, he would be cast on queen side and black's king would be in the center, but black has counterplay against the king and very typical sharp Sicilian battle. Um, but these days, like, I remember I put the same position into Stockfish, for example, and <clears throat> Stockfish was saying something close to plus 1.5, but it's, mm-hmm. like, kind of a normal-looking normal dodgy Sicilian, like, as far as dodgy Sicilians are concerned. Yeah. So, like, what needs to be considered there is definitely the practical element. Like, if, like, I mean, you can say 1.5 all you want, but in a human game like for sure i you know i've i've won plenty of games from similar dodgy sicilian positions and right what that where that evaluation probably holds more truth is in correspondence games you know where sure yeah there's absolutely. no pressure at the clock ticking so you get to explore more of the truth of the position no absolutely i 100 percent agree i mean the the difficulty of executing that one and a half really factors in, right? And if your eyes are telling you, man, I'm I'm not I'm not seeing the way forward here that leads right. to this plus one point half or whatever it may be. Um you know that that's a great example that I'll use especially to hammer down on the point of confirm or deny. And then then we can I'd love to hear the rest of your evaluation station story. Um but a great example that I that I always use, I played this game one time against Dan Brashaw, National Master from Iowa. Uh-huh. And it was a uh, wild uh Petrosian King's Indian with Bishop G5. And at the critical moment, basically, uh, he was he was actually like, so he was black, he was minus 0.9, so he had like a, a, a better position. But in order to, to get to minus 0.9, he has to play this really complicated peace sacrifice where there's no evident compensation whatsoever for like five or six moves. Right. And, you know, the way I view that, I look at that as, okay, so I was minus 0.9 here, I was in trouble. I don't look at it that way at all. I look at it as actually that is engine confirmation that I played this position pretty well because the only way, you know, the the very narrow path, every other move was, you know, like advantage me. And the only way to uh, not not even equalize but but get a little edge for, for black was this very complicated and narrow 
like computerish line, you know? Um, and to me, when I say that, you know, some players see the minus 0.9 and think, oh, I'm worse here. I played badly. But you also have to use your brain. You have to turn that on and you have to like give a realistic, practical assessment of the position and say, yeah, well, hold on. Let's let's actually look at this reputation and see how realistic it is, you know, in a practical human game to spot this and to follow it through correctly. And it's just not um, there. Ha- yeah, there has to be like definitely some element of forgiveness, you know, and, and mm-hmm. being real like one like. Uh, definitely reading a lot of chess books. Uh, you'll find, like, sometimes too, in, in I think you would see it more in modern books, but uh, these authors spitting out these variations as if they're, like, the most natural thing in the world. But if, uh, like, and I've... Yeah, but it's like some crazy some... computer line that leads to a perpetual, like, 15 moves later. Oh, right, right. Yeah. But without giving the context that it's, like, spit as fat out by the computer. So... You know, luckily enough, I'm friends with a lot of GMs, and so I can. I've I've taken some of these examples because I found them interesting training for myself or my students. And I would ask them, like, okay, is this realistic to see? And luckily, like almost all my friends who are GMs uh, studied a lot of chess in the pre-computer era. So that very like organic understanding really helps a lot. And uh, yeah, just kind of going along with what I said earlier, like there has to be like a certain level of forgiveness there for the practical element. Right. So, um, evaluation station, a fun game to play on stream. Uh, by the way, we played it at the 2021 us open that just concluded a couple weeks ago. I played it. Um, I think the game was, uh, a wonder Liang and I don't remember his opponent, but he sacrificed a piece early on. Oh, was it the that crazy French game that he lost? Yes, he was like yeah, significantly better. Missed the missed the hammer blow. Actually, interestingly enough, it's, it's funny how we were just talking about that. It was it was a very similar position where it's like um, white is much better, but you have to find the hammer blow, and he played the right. wrong hammer blow. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, looking at that game, that was that was very complicated because like what he did looked so tempting, right? Um, but yeah, I mean without you know, being too vague, like I would encourage listeners to check out that game. And I believe it was annotated by JJ Lang uh, for the U.S. chess webpage. That sounds right. That sounds right. If you, if you go to uschess.org, the homepage, and you just look in the news section, you'll find all our U.S. open coverage. Um, and I believe you are correct. You can find that game annotated there. It was Lang. I'll, I'll try to look up his opponent. I'll try to look up his opponent and see if we can drop it in the show notes. Um, for sure. Yeah. So, Gopal, um, I really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, before before I let you go, I, I would like to ask you, um, is there any uh, advice you would have? And, and I'm going to leave this sort of wide open here. This is up to you, either as a coach, as an aspiring player, as a Blitz gym, as a low-key meme lord, or as a content creator. I know you have some really cool YouTube videos out there. We didn't even touch on those. Oh, um, yeah, check, yeah. Check out, drop your YouTube channel too here so people know where to go to, to watch them. I know they'll like them. Give us oh, some yeah. advice. Give us some some info on how we can catch up with you, that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, as far as the YouTube videos are concerned, like I really enjoyed making them. I, I only made a couple, um, mm-hmm. but they're a really, real pleasure to make. You just search my first name, last name, um, and then Chess, you'll find it. I believe uh, I, I have one uh, where I annotate uh, a game where I beat Magnus Carlsen, but I didn't know it was him at the time. It was in a three-minute ICC game, uh, Blitz Tournament, ICC Open. And for the rest of the story, you'll just have to see the video. And 
I have another video for uh, advanced players, but anybody can learn something from it called Invisible Mistakes in Chess. So mistakes that are probably obviously not so, uh, not so trivial to recognize and also stuff I feel like is not really covered in books, you know, mm -hmm. because that's definitely a big obsession of mine uh, when I teach is to try to give people knowledge that isn't cookie cutter, you know, give people real practical knowledge that they can apply. And right. stuff yeah, for sure. the books won't tell you, you know, if I were to be trite. Um, anyway, as far as advice that I would have, uh, yeah, read a lot. Do your own research, you know, form your own. <laughs> Do your opinions. own research. That's that's become quite a loaded phrase. Today. Sorry, I just had to giggle. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Now more than ever, um, you know, and yeah, like for learning, I would, I would especially encourage active learning, you know, that's kind of mm -hmm. why I prefer reading as opposed to watching uh, videos. Like I hardly watch any videos um, because it's, it's easy. It's so easy just to turn your brain off. I mean, if you really mm -hmm. want to do that, like you can pause it and, you know, think about the position uh, sometimes just watching a lot of blitz uh, streams and stuff like that. That's basically, I think the food equivalent would be like, empty calories, you know, e eating some much. Cheetos. Yeah. It, which I miss so much. Um, they Do they have, have like a vegan, vegan Cheeto, like an equivalent? You know, they have like a few, but none that really hit the spot quite well. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm so mad at Doritos too. Like, of, of course I love flaming hot Cheetos because as you, you both know, um, or as, as the viewers may know, rather, uh, we are both spice enthusiasts. <laughs> I don't think they know that about me. Yes, but I do. I do really love spice food. Yeah. Right. Um, Although you take yeah. it to another level. You had this thing one time. I remember I tried it, and it was like, oh my god. Like I, I, I have a pretty high spicy tolerance, but that knocked me out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, me and my uh, uh, my buddy from pool, uh, we uh, did our own version of hot ones. And we never published the video footage because it involves like us swearing a lot. But but uh, we basically did a vegan equivalent of hot ones, mm -hmm. and we just used all the hottest sauces uh, from that show. So like the oh, ones man. where people tap out on. And, oh, God. Yeah, it was it was pretty. Yeah, wow. Some, something else. But anyway, I feel uh, like that footage needs to appear on the internet somewhere. Yeah, yeah, maybe it will. I mean, just just give it a year or so. Make just so I don't disrupt my run for city council or anything like that right yes of course <laughs> uh anyway where were we um active learning yeah which i think is lot. great advice honestly i mean you're right just watching a video there's so much to be gained just from setting up a board and following along the moves i mean just from a visualization perspective and like a, a practical perspective uh, yeah yeah for sure and like setting small but reasonable goals and expectations like uh, milestones that you know that you can manage. Um, yeah, I like I can't stress enough how much uh, that that helps quite a bit. Like, and plus, I think everybody's different, of course, but I find that a lot of people when they make study plans, like I've I've seen on Twitter, people posting their study plans or whatever. They're like, okay, I'll do a little bit of opening, a little bit of middle game, a little bit of end game. And like all on the same in the same study session. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of strong uh, grandmasters and trainers that I've spoke to, and uh, 
especially for myself, like I, I really don't believe in that. I think you should just keep your focus on a certain topic or theme for as long as you need to. And then, yeah, you can move on to something else because there's so much to learn right. in this game. Yeah. But, but yeah, definitely, uh, I think try to like focus and, and, and be mindful. Uh, anytime you go play in a tournament or if you're playing serious online, whatever, uh, you know, be mindful of the weaknesses you're trying to work on. I know one thing that you told me like a on and off time trouble addict was uh, something that Deveretsky said where uh, his advice to students was when you go into the tournament, like this is your focus to, to manage this thing that you were training, this skill that you were training. Right. Yeah. I re- so uh, it was one of the best pieces of advice I've read in a chess book. And I, I can't remember which Dvoretsky book it was, but it was definitely a Dvoretsky book. It might have been training for the, for the tournament, player. tournament player. Yeah, I know. That's one of your favorites. Yeah, I think it might have been that one. And it was basically just like, you know, if if you have a weakness, then you, you can't really, like, do anything else until you address that weakness. Mm-hmm. And obviously, one of the steps to addressing that weakness is, is if... Um, when you go and play in a tournament, you know, you have to be mindful of that and address it directly. So like if time management is your weakness, okay, your, your focus for this tournament, your goal for this tournament is don't get in time trouble, you know, absolutely deal with handle your time management and then we'll work on the rest of the stuff. But we have to address this major weakness first, because otherwise that weakness will be the death of you in in critical scenarios. Yeah. And for a long time to come to, you know, right. So. Well, great. Um, Go, Paul. This, this was a lot of fun. Um, what we're going to do for all the listeners out there, we're going to make sure to get uh, Go, Paul's uh, various ways where you can connect with him. We'll get those in the show notes, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. And um, I would really recommend giving him a Twitter follow. He's got he's always posting really cool uh, gifts of games and lots of interesting content there. And I'm, I suspect that's probably going to be correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably going to be where we can get updates about your book once it comes out. Is that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, dep- yeah. I, depending on what form I decide to put it into and so on, like, I mean, thinking about making it a course. But, but yeah, of course, I'll, I'll be offering plenty of uh, teases. Yeah, there have already been a few, and I, I play through them all, and, and I retweeted one the other day with a, with a bit of a snarky comment. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the Maiden 2 over, over the Maiden 1 is, is very nice style points. Well, that's, yeah, it's a flex, you know? Right. I like, guess I could do be... this, but do you want to play one more move? Offer the option? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and plus it's a little bit more, uh, the move in question was a bit more slick, and I guess maybe that'd be my final piece of advice, you know? Flex if you can and enjoy the game. Uh, I mean, that's ultimately, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's why we play, right. you know? If you're not enjoying what you're doing, of course, like, it, it's not worth it. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I, you know, I enjoy creating art, cool games. Um, so flex while you can listeners. All right. Great. Well, go Paul. Thank you so much. Once again, uh, for national master, Loki meme Lord, long doggo lover and blitz GM, go Paul Menon. I am your host, Pete Karyanis, just underground. We'll see you next month. Tactical struggle. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. 
U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Carianis. Determination.